Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, this third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things, then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them. When he broke the bread. So for our reading. Thanks Steve. Uh, we'll forgive you the poster behind you but thank you for reading. Um, as I mentioned please keep your Bibles open. Uh, there's some really great things in this passage and we're going to pick them out together this morning. Before we do that I'm going to pray uh, and then we'll jump straight in. So let's pray. Heavenly Father we, we thank you for your word. It is such a gift as it tells us that our saviour lives that it speaks to us of who he is and how your wonderful and amazing plan came to its fulfillment in him father please open our eyes and open our hearts as we read these words together and as we think uh, through them please give us much grace that we would hear your voice speaking that you would speak the good news to our hearts and re-establish our hope in and on you and you alone. In Jesus, our Saviour's name we pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you have any moments in history that you would have just loved to be there, you know, be the fly on the wall when that happened, to, to see how it went down and, and to see exactly what, what took place. Um, may, maybe you've got some in your mind. Maybe you would have loved to be there when, you know, Martin Luther King gave that, that famous speech 
I have a dream. Maybe you would love to be there when the Wright brothers first flew their plane. Maybe you would have loved to be there last time Melbourne won a grand final. Or maybe, uh, maybe you're a Bible nerd. Maybe as you read the Bible, you, you read of these stories and you think, man, I, I would just love to have seen that. You know, the parting of the Red Sea, how incredible would that have been? David versus Goliath, Jonah and the whale. That would be pretty amazing stuff to be a witness to, wouldn't it? Well, maybe uh, I'll, I'll give you a really nerdy one. I would love to have been here in this chapter that we just read on this walk to Emmaus. I mean, first of all, it'd be incredible to be amongst the first people to have seen uh, the risen Jesus. But secondly, I would have loved to hear this conversation, to hear Jesus uh, speak about the Old Testament and really unlay uh, God's whole plan throughout the whole of the Old Testament. Wouldn't that have been incredible? What a, what a moment, what a sermon, what a Bible study. I mean, all those other moments, they're, they're part of the plan. This is the plan laid out in front of us. But of course, we weren't there. And for whatever reason, that conversation isn't recorded for us. But what we do have is the story of how that happened. That story uh, is recorded and that story gives us enough. In fact, that story gives us everything that we need to see exactly why this is such a great moment and to see how beautiful it is that God's plan has come together in Jesus. And that's what we're going to be seeing as we look into this passage this morning. Now, when we jump in, we actually have information that the disciples at this time didn't. We know what's happened. We know that Jesus is alive, but the disciples don't yet, or at least they don't believe. They know the tomb is empty, but they don't know why it's empty. They're, they're disappointed, they're confused, and they're feeling really lost. And so we find two of them, not of the original 12 disciples, but two uh, followers, heading back to Emmaus that very day that Jesus was raised. Luke doesn't record that by accident. It's a very symbolic thing that he does here. Uh, throughout his gospel, um, going towards Jesus, uh, to Jerusalem has been the path of Jesus, and not only the path of Jesus, but the path of following Jesus, of being a disciple. It's all about being heading to Jerusalem. Now these disciples are heading away from Jerusalem. Luke's suggesting they're going off track. They're heading in the wrong direction. And we meet them arguing about what has happened. Now come with me to verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? Uh, Jesus busts in on their conversation. Obviously, they're quite animated. They're, they're really having a go at it. what's happened. But they're kept from recognising him. And so when he asks his question, they're, they're totally surprised. I mean, it seems a ludicrous question. Are you the only one who doesn't know what's just happened in Jerusalem? I mean, what rock have you been living under? Of course, the beautiful irony is no one in Jerusalem really knows what's happened. The only person that does is actually Jesus. 
and he's going to help them out here. But first, he asks a question, and they give their version of events. Look with me at verse 19. What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Clearly the disciples are all at sea right now. They just don't understand what's going on. Uh, they betray lack of understanding of actually who Jesus is. Uh, clearly they see that all that they'd hoped for, all that they, they thought was part of the plan has failed. They're shattered by this. And their hope is in tatters. And what's more, on this morning, now it seems that the women that they've been with have gone crazy. What's going on? It just seems an utter disaster. Or not? Look at Jesus' answer in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus pulls them up really quite abruptly. Are you so dumb? Haven't you figured this out yet? Don't you get the plan? Well, let me explain it. I mean, I, I don't know what you think when you read this passage, but for me, the big question is, why were they kept from recognizing Jesus? How did they not know who he is? And we get the answer here. There is still more they needed to see about Jesus before they could actually learn to see Jesus. And that's what he gives them here. He lays out the plan before them from all of the scriptures. He says, this is what the Christ, that is the Messiah, the awaited saviour and rescuer and redeemer, this is what he had to do. In fact, that the word's even stronger. It's, it was necessary for him to do these things. He had to suffer before glory. That was the plan. That's always been the plan. All throughout the scriptures, suffering, then glory, both together both are essential. I mean, the disciples are devastated because they wanted glory. They'd been waiting for glory for their nation, for themselves, but they wanted it without suffering. They wanted triumph. They wanted victory. Uh, they wanted others to suffer, sure, but they wanted glory for themselves. And Jesus says, yes, the Messiah has come to bring glory, but not the sort you expect but only after suffering. Both together are necessary. You can't have one without the other. Uh, maybe, maybe I can illustrate. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a very handy, handy man. Uh, and not only am I not very handy, I'm also very impatient when it comes to jobs around the house. I just want to get them done and out of the way. And it's usually a problem. And it's especially a problem when it comes to painting. Now, I intensely dislike painting. Uh, it's fiddly, it's messy, it 
takes forever. I mean, you've got to wait for the stuff to dry. You've got to put another coat on. You've got to prep it. And it's, it's awful. Now at home, I've got some timber to paint. Uh, it's, it's been waiting there for a long time. I keep putting it off. Um, not even isolation makes me desperate enough to want to do painting just yet. But I've got a plan. Uh, it's going to be blue. I've got this really nice, dark, glossy blue to paint it. But I am so tempted just to go home, quickly give it a quick spray once, get it over and done with, one quick coat, and then we're done. Now, some of you are cringing um, because you know that's not going to work, is it? If I just go home and slap on my top coat just quickly without thinking about it, it's going to look awful. It's actually going to look a whole lot worse. You're going to see the grain of the timber coming through. It's going to absorb it. It won't be glossy and rich and blue. It'll be rough and uneven and ugly. It's going to look terrible. What I need to do first is give it an undercoat. I need to, to prime it. I need to put some ugly gray or white paint on it. it. It's a weird kind of step. You actually make things look far worse, but it's necessary. Because then, and only then, when I put the top coat on, the, this nice blue that I've got, then it will go well and look beautiful and, and glossy and rich and glorious, hopefully. Well, so it is with Jesus. He hasn't come to skip straight to glory. Uh, there's a step to go through first. You, you don't get to glory without the cross. And in fact, as he explains to the disciples now with the cross, is the road to better and richer and fuller glory. Because Jesus hasn't just come to bring some temp temporal earthly kingdom, a kingdom with some glory, but very limited. He's come to bring his perfect eternal kingdom. The, the plan that he's come to enact is far greater. It's of endless, matchless glory. He's not come to save from the Romans, but save from sin. He's not come to give a lifetime of freedom, but an eternity of freedom. That's the fulfillment of scripture that, that Jesus explains here. This is the height of God's plan. This is what it means. And it's all now fulfilled in what's taken place. Suffering and glory, death and resurrection. It's here. It's all come together. In him, every part of God's plan that he's been talking about throughout the Old Testament. We have the snake crusher who doesn't die in the effort, but lives. We have the perfect sacrifice who gives himself, then rises from the dead. We have the temple, the perfect meeting place of God, broken down, but then rebuilt more beautiful. We have the priest who offers himself, but then continues and lives and sits down, his intercessory work complete. We've got the king who conquers even in his death, but more so in his life. We've got the servant who suffers and is vindicated, his service complete. It's, it's all come to pass. All these hints and pictures and, and, and prophecies of the Old Testament, they're all fulfilled. They've all come together in the cross and the glory, in the suffering and resurrection. Because he lives. God has raised him from the dead. Suffering was his. Now glory is too. And we need to understand that. Just as the disciples did. We need to understand how these things come together in Jesus. There is no glory without the cross. That's God's way. He's been saying it for hundreds of years. And now it's been. It has all come to plan. It has all gone to plan. 
It's all now fulfilled in Jesus, the cross, then glory. It is God's way. It is God's way for him. And it's been, he's been saying all along, it is God's way for his people too, for all who would follow him, for you and me. Suffering, then glory. There's no salvation without confession. There's no forgiveness without repentance. There's no life without sacrifice. There's no eternity in glory without suffering. Remember what Jesus has been saying the whole way through the gospel. Take up your cross and follow me. Yes to glory, but not without suffering. When we believe in Jesus, we don't get to jump straight to glory. That's not how it works. We don't jump straight to earthly victory, to overcoming all these things. It's not it at all. Instead, he says, as his followers, we walk his path. And like him, we suffer, we struggle, even while we trust him. It's not a sign that we've missed out. It's actually a sign we're on the right path. But with that suffering comes a glory that far outweighs anything that we could wrap our minds around. The way of the cross is our way, yes, to death, but ultimately to life and glory eternal. That's, that's our hope. That's our hope even today. Jesus lives, suffering, then glory. We live in dark, grim times, confusing and desperate times. There's fear all around us. But we have a hope that, that goes beyond them all, that far outweighs them all, that is far higher than them all. In isolation or quarantine, in loneliness and in depression, in anxiety, in uncertainty and in fear, our hope endures. It still goes on. It's not tainted. It's not dragged down by those things. Our hope is true and it's good and it's perfect because God's plan is fulfilled. God's plan is fulfilled. It has come to pass in Jesus, who also suffered on the road to glory unimaginable. And for all who believe, his resurrection is life and glory and hope eternal. Now, I'm guessing by this point, the disciples' minds are reeling. I mean, what, what a Bible study. <laughs> what, what a sermon. Um, we get this sense that they're trying to prolong it. They're, they're so amazed at what we've heard. They say, don't keep going stay with us you know come to dinner let's let's keep this conversation going but it's there when they sit down around that table together that the most wondrous and even more wondrous of moments happens right before their eyes come with me to verse 28 as they approached the village to which they were going jesus acted as if he were going farther but they urged him strongly stay with us for it's nearly evening the day is almost over so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. It's an incredible moment, isn't it? I mean, maybe you've had similar, you know, you're out and about, uh, you, you 
bump into someone and you, you see their face and you think, I know that face, <laughs> but I can't figure it out. And you go home and you, you look at the paper or you look at the TV and there's that face. It's a footy player or cricket hero or TV personality. You think that's who it is. Well, that's what the disciples experience here. We've figured it out. That's who it is. It's Jesus, our beloved teacher. And then he's gone. We don't know what it was that, that triggered that, uh, that, that moment for them. Maybe it was the way he served dinner. Maybe uh, it felt familiar to the reports they'd heard of the Last Supper. Maybe it reminded them of the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus does very similar things. But either way, it's clicked. It's Jesus. He's the one. He really is the one. He's, he's the height of God's eternal plan. It's all about him. We've, we've, we've got it. Eureka. Jesus is the king. He, he needed to die. He needed to be raised to fulfill God's bigger plan, to rescue his people from sin and death, to build his eternal kingdom. You can, you can imagine all the puzzle pieces you know, falling in place in their mind and their, their, their heads racing. He's the king. He, he's even now restoring his people to his kingdom. He's building it all around us. And what's more, he's been sitting at their table. He's been having dinner with them. I mean, you would, you would think, you know, he's just been raised from the dead. You would think he's got a list of really important things to do. And yet here he is, having dinner with his friends, with his disciples. You know, he's not like that friend at school who gets uh, elected to the student rep or student council and is all of a sudden too cool and too busy to hang out anymore. No, Jesus has had the greatest promotion here. He's been crowned king of heaven's kingdom. He's been given the name above all other names and still is with his friends. He's close to them. He's close to his people. Now, the disciples' minds were clearly blown by this information. It was huge for them. And so immediately, even though they've said there's not enough time to keep on on a journey, that they, they, they turn around and they, they race back to Jerusalem. And again, it's significant. They're back on the right track. They're, they're in true following again. They're on the path of discipleship. They were heading away. Now they're heading back. They're on the right path. They are living out their discipleship, their following of Jesus. And what do they do when they get to Jerusalem? Well, I mean, what can they do? They tell people. They go to the disciples and they say, look what's happened. He lives. He's alive. And what's more, we understand why. We understand God's plan has come together in him. How good is it? It's not what we expected. It's so much better. I mean, it's very logical, isn't it? Of course they want to talk about it. Well, what else would you do? They've realized Jesus is the king. Jesus is alive. He's the Lord of God's kingdom. All of God's plan for hundreds of years has gathered together in him. That's a message worth talking about. That's good news to proclaim. People need to hear this. It's life and it's hope and it's forgiveness. And that's Luke's point here. The way he's crafted this story with the disciples going away and now heading back, he's saying to us, this is what true discipleship, this is what true following of Jesus is all about. It's not just recognizing him as the risen Lord, it is proclaiming it. It is telling others, telling everyone who he is and how good our hope is. 
not only do we need to come to know him as the risen Lord, the fulfillment of God's plan, we need to talk about him and share him and speak this good news. Now, it's very tempting for us to say, but, you know, those disciples, what an advantage they had. I mean, they were just sitting around the table literally with Jesus. Of course they can talk about him. But do you have any less? Surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. That was Jesus' parting words to his disciples. Always I'm with you. How? Well, as we read on in Luke's second book, by giving us his spirit. See, what we actually have is not Jesus around the table with us. We've got Jesus' spirit living in us, in our hearts, the very power of God with us always and everywhere. Well, we say, but I actually just find it really hard to talk about. I don't really feel like I know how to do that. And yet, I know that there are things that you find very easy to talk about because you've talked with me about them, uh, whether it's running or riding or sailing or gardening or craft or knitting or cricket or Lego or Pokemon. There's all sorts of things you find very easy to talk about for even a very long time. And you find them very fresh and very exciting. It's true. There's things we can talk about for a long time very easily. Now, I know for many of you, uh, you've been a Christian for years or perhaps you've grown up in a Christian family. And I understand uh, that it can happen that, that that first flush of excitement can begin to fade or become a bit dull. And yet ask yourself then, is the fault with our message or is the fault with us? Every morning your mercies are new. That's, that's what we read in Lamentations chapter 3. In, of all books in the Bible, Lamentations, go and read it later. Every morning your mercies are new. Or, or as David prays uh, expectantly to God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He knows God's going to answer that. Make me excited. Make me glad again. Because the truth is, if we are immersing ourselves regularly into God's mercies and grace and love, it will be exciting. It will be fresh and new to us. And it will become so much easier for us to talk about. Now, I know you're in isolation, I know you're in quarantine, and yet it's not beyond us, is it? I mean, you still have your Bible. You can still read all about God's grace and his mercies. Prayer is a very acceptable uh, activity at this time, and perhaps you've even got more time for it. There's still plenty of talks to listen to, books to absorb. You can still talk to others and pray with them and read this good news with them and get excited together about it. I mean, isn't it true? What we fill ourselves up with, that's what overflows from us. So we're going to use our isolation time to fill ourselves up with Netflix uh, and games and, and whatever books come our way. Or are we going to fill ourselves up with the good news so that it will pour from us and be a, a fountain of hope, not only for ourselves, but for those around us who so desperately are looking for any form of hope at all. Because don't we just need that so badly now? 
And we have such a unique opportunity at this time. We, we, we're in a time that we've never seen before. Yes, I know we can't physically meet as church, but how many t- opportunities for conversations do we have? I, I, I'm guessing you've never seen your neighbours so much. I know we, we have to stand at a distance, but people are crying out for conversation that's not with their family. We want to talk. And so often those conversations turn to deeper things. People are crying out for hope. All around us is is a nation, is a world full of people who are disillusioned, who are disappointed, who are just clinging to the tatters of lost hopes. All our comfortable old ones are gone and we're stuck just kind of holding the scraps, trying to stick it all together. We've got all these plans for how to deal with the crisis, but let's be honest, none of our plans are perfect. Few of our plans are even that great. And all of them have huge consequences, whether they work or not. But we have news of a great plan, (laughs) a perfect plan, of God's plan, perfect and perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. Even in the most unlikely of ways in his death and life, we have news of God's plan that's far bigger, that's been going on for far longer that's been up against far greater odds and yet has worked and is hope for all who believe in him. Our hope is better. Our hope is better because it's true. It's come to pass. Our hope is better because he lives. Yes, I know it won't make COVID-19 go away. Actually, it does something far better for us. It gives us life and hope. It heals our hurts. It changes our hearts. It endures in our suffering through the midst of it all. And nothing can take it away. It's the promise of righteousness, of right standing with God and adoption into his family and eternity in his kingdom. That's your hope. Get excited about it and share it with those who so desperately need it. So yes, we can't be a fly on the wall at this great encounter and great moment in history, but it it doesn't really matter, does it? Because we're living the consequences of it. We're we're living in the next chapter. The the kingdom that Jesus has brought is unfolding all around us. And the message is ours. The king lives salvation in his name. That news is given to us, not only to have, but to share. Grace extended, a living hope in a living saviour his plan fulfilled. So go. I mean, don't go far. That's illegal. But go. Go with joy to your neighbours, to your friends, to your family. Go in the Spirit's power, for he's with you. And proclaim hope. Your Redeemer lives. He is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks Because in Jesus' resurrection, we see all your plans come to fulfillment. We see your kingdom established and victorious. We see forgiveness and life secured for us in him. Father, may this good news fill us with joy and gladness and hope. And may it overflow from us. Give us boldness to speak about this good news with one another and to share it with the world around us. Father, we thank you that Jesus has not left us alone, but he's close by with his spirit living in us even now. And so help us, Lord. Help us proclaim. Lord, we long for our neighbours and our friends to hear this good news and to 
put their faith in Jesus and find life in him. And so we pray, pray, would you use us to speak it to them and work through us so that even today, even in this time, your kingdom might grow. In our Saviour's name we pray. Amen.